Welcome to My Name is Not Steve, the podcast by storytellers about storytelling with people not named Steve. Hey, this is Pete Bauer. And I'm Dorothea Bauer. And this is My Name is Not Steve. We are still not named Steve. Nope, we are storytellers that talk about storytelling. Yes, we are. How you doing, Dorothea? I am excellent. You just got back from a conference. I did. It was amazing. What was it about? It was a Catholic women's leadership conference. Can I go? I don't know if you'd be invited. <laughs> and it was uh, limited from women aged, I think, 18 to 30. So I, I can totally pull that off. <laughs> <laughs> so it was just really great. It was a really vibrant, amazing, just life-changing week. And now you're back doing this. Mm-hmm. Although this is kind of fun. It's the day job. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's awesome. Uh, while you were gone... Man, I, w- I hope my boss does not listen to this. <laughs> <laughs> while you were gone, I was writing a lot, so I've kind of gotten back into my rhythm. Well, I'm glad to know that I'm the source of all your distractions. Right, yeah. So much power. If my productivity drops now that you've returned, we'll know oh, the... Which cu- it will. Yeah, we'll know the culprit. <laughs> so uh, anyway, that's been a pleasant surprise. Since I really haven't been in a groove since before my surgery, which was six months ago. Seven months ago, actually. Yeah, Dad, blame the life-threatening surgery. (laughs) I know. I'm I'm always looking for excuses. So anyway, uh, that's been awesome, and um, I'm making a lot of headway. And so I'm still hopefully on track to finish the first draft by the end of the month, which is cool. Now, when is World Youth Day? World Youth Day is the last week in July and the first week of August. So I'll be leaving the 21st. Because my hope was to have this book done by then. I don't know if I'm going to make it. Well, we'll see what happens. So anyway, that is a quick update. Nothing really new other than that. So, And while you were gone, mm-hmm. I was working on one of the book covers. I know. Yeah. How dare you. I know. <laughs> Stepping into your territory. Contributing to the story that you wrote. I know. What? Wow. Man. Offensive. I know. I quit. <laughs> I'm gonna dock you your clearly pay. don't need me <laughs> that's not true I just don't want to pay you anything <laughs> well when has that changed <laughs> I know well, I just wanted to throw that out there in case you were thinking you were worth something things are going along and hopefully we'll be able to release the book covers soon uh, one thing that occurred recently is that we finished the Uncharted 4 game we did and when we say we we mean the collective you me and my brother yes in which my brother played and we watched. <laughs> yeah, right. Usually. So growing up, that used to be the other way around where I would play and you and Gabe would watch. And then we let you play once. And um, <laughs> I don't really think you let me play. You had reached a checkpoint and you left the room for a second and told me to walk around. <laughs> that doesn't qualify as playing. That qualifies as exploring the world. How'd that go? That's not relevant. It is a little. What we need to talk about is your use of the word play. (laughs) (laughs) So there are two controllers on the joystick. Mm. One makes you go forward and backwards and sideways, and the other is your head. It's your vision. And where you point. Okay, let's just take a moment here (laughs) to acknowledge that I had never played a PlayStation game before. I didn't know what the buttons did. That's obvious. <laughs> because you ended up looking straight up. <laughs> okay. I, I, you didn't know how to fix it, and then you walked off a cliff. <laughs> I don't think this story is relevant. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost like your virtual self is almost as klutzy as your real one. Yeah, except less suicidal. <laughs> well, actually more suicidal. Wait, no. <laughs> 
Let's rephrase that. Maybe there's something we should talk about, Zach. <laughs> Let's not joke about that. Except I'm not unintentionally suicidal. Yeah. Well, don't... I don't know. Am, am I unintentionally <laughs> suicidal? I don't think people can be, I don't think anyone can be unintentionally suicidal. Well, I mean, I guess if you're a thrill seeker. Well, I don't know if that'd be suicidal. Anyway, so we just finished this game. And it was so well done, the fourth one, that it made us want to revisit the idea of gaming as storytelling. We had done that before with Gone Home. We talked about that a couple episodes ago. So with Gone Home, I had mentioned that it was probably the closest to playing the novel, as I think you could get. Mm-hmm. The Uncharted storyline, I mean, it's more action game-ish, obviously, because it's kind of like a treasure hunter thing. But it was the best at putting you in the protagonist's shoes because of the very nature of being a first-person experience. Mm -hmm. So for those of you who have not played Uncharted and are not familiar with it, it is a story about Nathan Drake, who's a treasure hunter. He's kind of like a cross between Indiana Jones and Laura Croft from Tomb Raider. And he goes on these epic quests. He has a, uh, he's kind of like a lovable scoundrel kind of guy. Han Solo-ish. Han Solo-ish. He has a mentor who's also kind of a, an older, lovable scoundrel, and his name's Sully. And he has a love interest named Elena, who's a up-and-coming reporter, news videographer, things like that. Because all of those jobs are exactly the same. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's kind of what she does over the series. It starts out being one thing and turns into something else. So in the first story, they are looking for El Dorado. Mm -hmm. In the second story, they are looking for Shambhala, which is Shangri-La. In the third story, they are searching for the Atlantis of the Sand in a desert somewhere. And in the fourth... And yet they never found the Atlantis of the Seas or, you know, Atlantis. I mean, how impressive are they really? (laughs) And then in the fourth one, they are hunting down the treasures of pirates. There is a surprising number of hidden, antique, beautiful cities. Epic, in, large in, in, in cities. In the world, apparently. Yes. <laughs> that have not been found by Google Earth. That have Earth. not been found by Google Earth or yeah. any of the satellites, evidently. Right. Some of them are underground, which is... The satellites or the cities? Because <laughs> if they were the satellites, no wonder they couldn't get anything, really. I mean, why? How could they? But that was one of my favorite moments was when... I'm just ignoring you. That was one of my favorite moments is when they went like down this stairwell underground and then they came out and there was sky. And I'm yeah. like, you're underneath Earth. So Are they also they? went in different dimensions, which is... <laughs> I, I, it's an that. element of the game that I don't really think they spent a lot of time talking about. But <laughs> I don't think anyone got that but you. Is one of the things that made it truly impressive in my book. <laughs> All right, I'm going to ignore you. This is going to be a really good podcast because we're just going to have two separate podcasts at the same time. When I was at the Smarter Artists Conference, Joanna Penn, who I mentioned this before, she looks at trends and future trends in storytelling, and she's pretty on the mark. And one thing she mentioned was that gaming would be one of the key future storytelling opportunities for authors because... As we also mentioned before, AI will probably replace just authors writing words. So you're going to have to come up with different ways to be a world builder and a character creator. And uh, Although in that case, you won't be able to be self-employed because you'll have to be part of a company making games. Right. But you could still be the, the creative influence or the creative driver for it. When I left the conference, I had a hard time kind of understanding that. I got it a little more when we talked about the Gone Home game. And I really understood it more with this with this game series because the number one thing you're trying to do in a story is to put the reader or the consumer into the actual mind and viewpoint of the main character. 
And nothing does that better than a first-person video game, really. Mm -hmm. So when I look at the Uncharted game, there is so much that is done well. I mean, it is exceptional in a lot of ways. The most exceptional piece, I mean, well, let me start by saying there's there's exceptional aspects as far as the usage of technology, the gameplay itself, and the animation and so forth, which improved every iteration, each game. But I think what makes the game special and so popular is the characters, and not only that, but the very specific character arc they all went through. What's interesting is I saw a documentary on the making of the fourth one, And we'll go over that kind of storyline in a minute. But one of the things that was interesting was that the developers had grown older. They had all been working on this thing since, I think the first game came out in like 2009 or something like that. So they had all grown older together. And so the characters all grew older and their priorities all changed and everything like that. Because they're like, yeah, when you're in your 20s, who doesn't want to be a treasure hunter, you know? But as you get older and you have responsibilities and so forth, then your priorities change, even though your your impulse to be a treasure hunter or a programmer or whatever changes. Well, even if you are a treasure hunter, eventually your body decides that it's not. So right. <laughs> there are elements of that as well. <laughs> yeah. And unlike video games, we don't get to respawn and have another try at it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, when you miss that ledge you're supposed to grab onto, it's it's a very different experience <laughs> yeah. in the real world. <laughs> like one and done. You're done. So let's talk a little bit about some of the characters involved in this story and, and kind of their story arc. When we first meet Nathan Drake, he is opening the casket of Sir Francis Drake. And he says that he's his descendant when Sir Francis Drake did not have any children. And so Elena, who is the reporter, is like, um, I think you're full of it. And he's like, well, guess we're about to find out what the truth is. And so they open up this casket and it takes them onto their journey because there is no body in it. And but there's a journal. There is a journal. But it's a really great introduction to his character because you first see him and he's literally a grave robber. But right. you still like him because he's funny about it. Right. He's <laughs> brash and he's arrogant and cocky because he's really good at it. Sully is his mentor who's an older guy who, who's obviously done all these illegal things that Nathan Drake is now doing. We never really get a full picture of Sully's criminal history. <laughs> no, but it but you trust it yes. from the references yep. they use. And he's at the point in his life where he is older He's tired of skirting the law. He's made some bad choices financially, and he really needs there to be money at the end of this process. Mm -hmm. And then Elena, who I previously mentioned, she's a reporter. And in the first game, she is the host of a television show. It seems to be something like you would find on the History Channel, like unearthing hidden secrets or something like that. So her first story in the game is really trying to get the story of Sir Francis Drake and his coffin and all that other stuff for her show. And she follows that through. So... She's sort of a reporter and sort of a television host. <laughs> right. And once they find that this journal that will lead them to El Dorado, the city of gold, they realize that they can't tell anyone, Sully and, and Drake can't tell anyone. Be- otherwise. Otherwise, everyone will be after it. So, so it's for purely selfish reasons. <laughs> it is. And so they, they leave her mm-hmm. unexpectedly. Yeah, on, on a dock. Yeah. And take off after the gold. And she ends up finding them at some point in the story. I love her reaction to that, though. She's like, hey. She's like, of course. Like, she, she's mad for like a second, and then she's like, well, I shouldn't have expected much better. They're treasure hunters. <laughs> right, and grave robbers. And criminals. Yeah. And then the first story goes through a, the, a, their massive journey to, to find El Dorado. Now, some of the cool things about this that they allow you to do, and again, this is the great way that games can allow you to get into the protagonist's shoes 
is that they allow a world that you can also explore while achieving your goals. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that's just fun to do if you're tired of having people shoot at you. Right. You can just explore a world for a little while and then go back to the shooting. And they have hidden little treasures that you can find, and there are a lot of them. Yeah. And it's, it, they have them everywhere. And so once you've actually gone through the game once, it gives you a reason to go back and just search the world that they created. Because the amount of time that they take to create a world, especially in the fourth game, to create a world that you may never ever really look at is impressive. Mm -hmm. Um, In the fourth game, they're looking for pirate treasure. Which is kind of like coming full circle, which I just realized now because I'm slow like that. (laughs) So the developers mentioned that in the first game, which I think was on the when PlayStation 3 first came out, they only had like 512 megabytes or something like that of space that they could use for the non-primary path of the world. So the world around it was really, really limited. Mm-hmm. With Uncharted 4, they had 8 gigabytes worth of space to use and fill. Wow. And so they did. And what they ended up doing was you could take like three or four paths to get to the same location. And so, there, like I said, there are multiple places in the world that if you don't explore, you'll never see all the work that these people did. They also mentioned that, like, in real life, each path has its own stuff. So, for example, one path may have brown mud, another path may have red mud. So, if I take one, then my character has to have brown mud for that rest of that level, or red mud, or whatever. So, they had to... They had to add on all the possible consequences of all these intersecting paths. And there's also a lot of water because there's pirates involved in this. And there's places you can dive. And there's a whole undersea world. It's amazing. That you may never jump off the boat and look at. Yes. That you can explore as much as you can hold your breath underwater. But like there's actually a ship that you can go into and swim around that sunk. And it's just incredible. That you don't have to go to. That you don't have to go to. The first time we went through this game, we didn't even know it was there. Right. And then when I saw it in the distance, I'm like, oh, I'm going to go check that out. In the first game, they kind of established that you can not only go on your mission, but you can explore their limited world. Mm -hmm. So by the fourth game, they really took that into consideration and created a massive, massive world that is so full of of depth. And I mean, there's, there's a car chase, for example. And... One of the developers was talking about how much work is put in all the buildings that you race by, like <laughs> signs and people outside and the containers they're holding and everything has to be correct. Wow. And there's five, four or five paths you can take. So there's a whole world, just like any other real world, that if I if I go to work one way, I see one part of the world. If I go to work another way, I see that. And they create all of that just in case you take path one over path three. I want you and Gabe to play this game again so I can watch it. (laughs) (laughs) Here's the funny thing. I was playing the fourth game again just to explore a little bit. And I was trying really hard not to go the way they wanted me to go. I wanted to see how far off path I could go. And I was amazed at how quickly I was put on path. So, for example, I could go to a location that has four houses that I could explore that are old and beat up because the city's been abandoned or whatever. In the first game, I went through house one. So I'm like, I'm going to go through house four. But house four quickly leads you to house three, which leads you back to one. Right? You just you <laughs> think you're exploring, but they're really, really good. And this is, again, much like novel writing. They're really good about directing you back to exactly where you need to go. You can take a little tangent in a story, just like you can in the game. But at the end of the day, the author creator is taking you exactly where you need to go. So you think you have in the game a false sense of freedom of movement. Mm -hmm. or path 
but they're they're really good at subtly going, yeah, you're going to end up here anyway. <laughs> and you're like, no, I don't want to go there because suddenly there's, I can't get past this one fence or there's a building that's fallen down or a doorway has boulders in it and I can't get through it. So you're forced, but you don't really notice that they're nudging you that way. It's because it's, it's so free movement, mm-hmm. but it's really clever how it's a dual sense of, free movement in a planned world. So I am just so amazed with the amount of work that goes into all of that. It's incredible. It kind of reminds me of when I would watch the behind the scenes on animated movies. Like if you look at the world of Toy Story, just for example, there is so much that they do that they don't have to. Like just small things. Like in the third Toy Story movie, the garbage man is Sid, who is the kid in the first movie. Right. There's just small ways that they do that. Uh, the Pizza Planet delivery car is in every single Pixar animated movie. Right. You know, like not just Toy Story, it's in all of them somewhere. Just small ways that they kind of give you these little Easter eggs that you can hunt for and they're they're just really cool. So all of the stuff that goes into that and having the ability to play around in that is so cool. And I think that's really something that you can only do in that format. Because as a novelist, you can't mm. go, I'm just going to write about the bedroom or the living room because what if the furniture looked like this? Right. That'd be cool because you're like really interested in antique furniture. The reader's going to be like, okay, I'm not interested yeah. in antique yeah. furniture. Let us move on. Let us move on. And so that's that's where fan fiction comes in. But uh, it's it's just really cool to see all the stuff and all the thought that goes into that. And what's surprising to me is is how tropish this series is. So there's a, a book out by an author I met at the Smarter Artist Conference. His name's Chris Fox, and he talks about writing to market. And what he says is find a underutilized but popular market like a sub-genre of a popular market that makes enough money, but there aren't a lot of authors in it. And then look at the tropes that are supposed to be in that genre and write it. Only if, only if you're interested in writing it, right? Don't do it because you're trying to make money in a market. Readers will always know that you're writing and your heart's not in it. So he's like, but if you really have a passion for like space science fiction, find a space opera subcategory that no one's using, Find out what the tropes are, and then go write it. Because there's been a lot of games about treasure hunters and stuff. There's a whole Tomb Raider series that's been on forever, and they made it into movies. Well, I think people like discovering things. They like investigating things. I think it's one of the reasons cop shows are so enjoyable for right. a lot they, of people. They love They're the so mystery. Popular. People love the mystery. They yeah. love finding the clues. And So they this game series has the tropes. It has the villains, which are usually very clever and witty, kind of likable, but off. You know, which is good. You want the villains stronger than the than the protagonist. The protagonist is charming and, like we said before, a lovable scoundrel. You have the mentor. You have the love interest. You have the vixen. They have all these different tropes. And it's comforting in that world. That's what you want in that world. It's kind of like if there was a video game about something kind of like Star Trek or something kind of like Firefly. They, I would read it. They, well, the point is they... They better have all the stuff that I expect in that type of story, right? From a storytelling perspective, it made me understand better the idea of using tropes for the right reasons, because it allows you then, it's kind of like having the right starting point. It's like, okay, good, the lovable scoundrel, great. But then what makes him special? And the thing that makes Nathan Drake's character special is he's very funny. Yes, he's he very, is. very, he's witty. very funny. And the voice actor really had a lot to do with that because he was allowed to ad lib and things like that. And one of the things that they did really well, and again, this this is just basic storytelling, whether it's a novel or a game, is they pointed out things that we were thinking anyway. It's I call it like commenting in plain sight. So when you're building something, if 
Like when I was uh, building my old movie room, there was this thing where the the grains of the wood at these two pieces, these end pieces, wouldn't match the grains in the centerpiece. So I just switched it so it was perpendicular. It's like I'm going to hide it in plain sight. Mm -hmm. So they're not going to match, so I'm going to make them not match on purpose. So what they did in this game, which was really smart, is every once in a while you're playing a game and you'll be like, or reading a book, and you'll go, you got to be kidding me. Right? I they're not in this situation again. Right? So the main character in this in this game calls that stuff out all the time. Like you've just, you know, killed a whole bunch of people and you think you're done. And then a tank shows up and he'll be like, Oh, come on, you've got to be kidding me. And I can't tell you how many times you're playing the game and you say it as he says it. Right. Or there's one part that's really funny where there's this really long jump and the, and he's with this other character. He's like, you're never going to make that. Ooh, you made the jump. Right. Like he just comments very witty, very funny. But more importantly, says what you're thinking so that it doesn't get in the way of your enjoyment. So instead of you going, that would never happen, he says, this should never happen. Exactly. And then you're like, oh, okay, good. He agrees with me. And then you're back into his shoes and you believe it again. Yeah, because that happens when I'll be reading novels or, or watching television all the time. If something will happen, I'll be like, I just, I don't believe this. I don't believe this moment is happening. And that can happen from a character perspective, too. Right. Like, if there's a certain amount of character growth and then they massively go back and there's not a good enough reason for them to regress i'm like no i don't believe that one of my biggest pet peeves actually with the show the office was what they did to andy bernard's character because when michael scott when steve carell left the show they needed another michael scott so they took andy bernard's character and now andy was always ridiculous he was always completely ridiculous but his parents didn't really love him and he was just like seeking love from all of his bosses that's really what happened. Is That's kind of pathetic. It is. He's a very pathetic character. But like, for example, his name was Walter because that was his dad's name. And then his brother was born. So they named him Andy and named the new baby Walter. Like, that's just a small part of his oh, character so history. <laughs> Andy is like a suck up. You know, he just sucks up to all of his bosses. And my, my analysis of that is because he's trying to get some kind of love from an authority figure that he didn't get before. And then when Michael Scott leaves, he becomes the manager. And he actually does a fairly good job at it. Like, he cares about his employees and all that other stuff. He's still ridiculous and he's still an idiot. But he's generally a good person. Right. And then I'm not sure if because the actor had to leave to do a movie or because he was in the Hangover films or what happened. But randomly, he becomes phenomenally selfish. Hmm. That just irritated me so much because I know he's a ridiculous character. I know this is The Office and you don't expect that much. But they took the time before Steve Crow left to have Andy's character grow and to have him still be a dumbball, still be a dummy and still be, you know, foolish and, and way too extreme. But you, you still felt bad for him and you still enjoyed his presence. And then they just kind of twisted him into something else. So that's always one of my biggest pet peeves in the show. Yeah, and, and being honest with the characters and that their their decisions and their growth make sense is really, really important. And one of the coolest things that they did in this this fourth game, which is something that I've never really seen in a video game a lot. Now, I, I'm not a gamer, so I'm sure there may be other games like this. In the fourth game, Nathan Drake and Elena are married, and he has a day job because they don't want to be put in danger of treasure hunting and all that other stuff. Or be arrested or for be in, the yeah. massive number of crimes they've committed together. Yeah. In a Pan <laughs> Panamanian jail and things like that. So they show them in this domesticated life, and there's multiple levels in the game where you're doing monotonous stuff. Does paperwork. And then he goes home, and he and his wife have dinner. And, and he plays a video and he game. Play, and so, yeah, that's the best part, is he actually plays a video. So in the video game, 
It's you, Inception. It's like the movie Inception. Mm-hmm. So in the Uncharted game, you actually play the PlayStation 1 game Crash Bandicoot. <laughs> and you actually have to play the game. You actually have to go through it, yeah. Yeah. So And you get scored based on your performance. Because right. I saw a clip of it online and there was another gamer who was much better at it than Gabe was. <laughs> yeah. And he got much higher <laughs> than Gabe did. Yeah, yeah. And he played. So it's kind of like they're playing to see who would do the dishes or mm-hmm. something like that. But you actually have to play that game. So what was really great about it is that they took the time. I wonder if one of the gamers actually beat her score and then she had to do the dishes. I'm sure that has to happen. I almost beat it once. So I just we never saw that storyline. Yeah. So they take the time for you to be domesticated like they are. Like at one point he's up in his attic office and he's finding all these past treasures that he had stored away from the previous games. And then he's remembering all the adventures. And so he gets out a Nerf gun and has a make-believe Nerf gun fight with people. And you have to go get the gun and you have to dive around. And, and it's just, it's awesome because, again, it puts you into the character's mindset of feeling like you're missing out on stuff on the previous games you'd played. Mm-hmm. So it's really, really clever. And then the the story shifts when you find out that Drake had a brother, and they do this really great stuff. Uh, just another great effect story wise is they you go back in time and you do backstory levels where these where they're kids, and so you see their relationship and the animation and stuff for the facial expressions is really pretty amazing. And again, as we said, the world is really pretty complex and cool. So they bring in this new character who you don't have any emotional connection to because they. You know, his long lost brother never played. So they actually make you have this connection by going back in time where they're both younger and kids and having to do some adventures. So then you do get an emotional connection to this character you just met. Mm -hmm. Then that leads them onto an adventure and some marital problems and things like that. But all of it for for a video game is really very real. It is. And and it's surprisingly so. They're real characters. You want to hang out with them. It's so odd. I'm, I'm sitting there going, this is so odd that I like these people. And the little, the... The parts of the game where the game stops and they do their their storytelling, Mm -hmm. you know, with the level stop and all that, you actually end up wanting to see what happens. You want to hear their conversations. and Yeah, you don't want it to end. And you actually participate in the conversations. Like, you can pick their responses. It's just so fascinating. It's kind of like my favorite episode. I have two favorite episodes of NCIS. One, because it's genuinely my favorite. And then another, because I just love the characters' interactions in that episode. It was one that I remember watching and I was in my apartment and like the window was open. It was just a really beautiful day. And then I'm hearing like this hilarious dialogue in the background. And the mystery of that episode is not interesting at all. It's actually very predictable. But just the character interactions in that episode, I'm like, I will watch that episode whenever it's on. Right. Because it's just it's fun to pretend that those people are real and and that they're really having those moments. Yeah, we keep saying that is that you just want to hang out with the people, Mm -hmm. you know. Uh, we were talking about some stuff I was writing in the fourth Gabby Wells novel today, and you're like, man, this is, I just love these people. I mean, I love the journey that they go on. Gabby's life is obviously pretty difficult, but you just love seeing the characters grow into into like three-dimensional people. And so yeah. in this video game, you just kind of get attached to these people. But the funny thing is, is that, you know, the video games are just a series of levels and rewards and so forth. When I was Preparing for this podcast while you were away, I went online and I found this guy basically captured playing the game and, and shortened it. So, you know, made made it very quick as far as he did all the levels and he had to defeat all the people, but he did it as effectively as possible. Took out all the times he died. <laughs> yeah, yes. And all like the wrong paths or whatever. It was a very direct route. 
but you just kind of see the game. And what's really funny is Nathan Drake probably kills 1,000, 2,000, maybe 4,000 people over wow. four games. What surprised me about that it was how different of an experience it was. Because when you're playing the game, there's different types of levels or there's different types of obstacles or challenges. Mm -hmm. Some are being able to climb and jump and whatnot. Others are mind games or puzzles that you have to solve. The others are physical confrontations that you have to overcome. And so they're shooting at you, so you have to shoot them. So when I'm watching that, I, I thought, well, that's not a big deal. But when you're watching it passively and the challenge your mental part of trying to figure out the challenge is gone because this guy just goes right through it. Mm -hmm. It's just a lot of killing. I mean, it it's is. just a lot, a lot of killing, which is. in the game, you don't think about it that way because it's another challenge in the level. See, you know? I just fast forward through the killing because I'm all about the story. So I'm just like, okay, this is the part where he kills a little bunch of people and then, you know, I move on because but, it's different from a movie where you feel the dramatic suspense and the tension and all right. that other stuff. No, it's, this is just a level. It's just a level of a lot of shooting <laughs> right. so in different places. So I'm just like, all right, next. I was just stunned at how it. I reacted differently to that idea because I was experiencing the story differently. It was just really, really interesting to me. So to me, that's just, it's, it's kind of like, I don't know, an alternate universe version of the game because when you're playing the game, you're in it, you're in the shoes, you're, you, you understand the, the violence and the context of the gameplay in the world, and so it's not so much violence, violence, like I said, as it is in the next type of obstacle to overcome. But when you're watching it, consuming it differently, it just becomes really gratuitous. Yeah. I mean, gr just massive amounts of killing. It's really surprising. And this game isn't is like T for teen or something like but that. But it's a, it's a shooter game. It so is a first-person shooter. So if they removed any of those levels, it would be a different type of game. Like that's. And they are some of the most fun are the shooter levels. But anyway, it was just really surprised me. I'm curious, did, did it change the way you plan on writing things at all? Just because playing Uncharted 3 drastically changed the way that you were writing the Gabby Wells series because of the way that they had challenges. I'm pretty sure we mentioned it on this podcast previously, yeah, but yeah. there was a level where you had to shoot down a helicopter in a building that was collapsing that you yeah. were in. As the gameplay and the computing power got stronger, they were able to make you an active participant in a major, usually what would be a cinematic event that you would just watch. A cutscene. A cutscene. So, and as a building is being shot at by a helicopter and collapsing under you, and you're sliding down this now tilted floor, you have to shoot a guy off of the girl or she dies. And you, you know, I mean, you have to actually achieve a goal while you're sliding down. A collapsing building and that kind of stuff was really <laughs> it's just cool. awesome yeah and that only gets better and better with each with each subsequent game and there have been times like i mentioned in lost and found i there was a scene where i specifically said what would uncharted do and then i i wrote that but was there any change of writing when you were watching the games i'm just curious if that objective experience gave you a different perspective no it it, it just made me appreciate the scope like they they really had a very large scope and i know that's part of the game but as a storyteller sometimes you can get caught in your own very small limited vision your original vision and what i liked about that and what makes makes me think about as a storyteller is well what if i just made it bigger what if things got hairier what if you know the stakes were raised and that's always almost always a really good idea to raise the stakes you know overall i was just really impressed by the characters you really end up caring about the characters when you play these four games you really feel like you've been through the mill with them i mean you've been through four massive adventures you've explored worlds that only you and them supposedly have i mean he got married <laughs> he got married right um 
And so it's just, it's so fulfilling. And I will say this, the fourth game, again, because the computing power, not just the animation and the character facial stuff is really, really good, but the cinematic visuals are pretty amazing. Like when there's scenes where you come in and, and Elena has found out that Nate's been lying to him and she's standing there and there's a, a light over her and it's backlit and her back's to you and she's looking at a map and it's really it's beautiful, 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 just imagery they're able to pull off. I think I've seen more screenshots from this game than I have for any of the other games that people just take because they're like, man, this looks gorgeous. And you, and in the game, you can actually pause and take a picture of you where you are and, a, and manipulate the lighting and everything. And it's, you can take characters and add them or remove them. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's really cool. As Gabe played the game first, and I played it, have since <laughs> played it and finished it since then. And I watched it. <laughs> you watched it. Ever since doing that, I, I've just really understood more so where I can see the future of storytelling being in gaming. It's almost the best of many worlds because the whole intent is that your your consumer has to be the main character. They, 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 they have, have to, to identify. they have to be actively engaged. Yes. Yeah. yeah, they have to identify with them. I would love to, to be part of the story board on a video game company. That would just be so much fun because you get to like be involved. It's almost like being involved in the movie world, but including the audience, right. which is awesome. Right. One other thing which is really, really awesome is the soundtrack. Now, the score... Beautiful. Yeah, the original score, the original theme is pretty awesome. The theme is as good as any movie theme, the the, the Nate's theme, so to speak. I completely and, agree. And it was composed by Greg Edmondson. And one of the cool things about the fourth game is they actually got Henry Jackman, who's a movie score composer. He's done some of the X-Men's, the newer X-Men's. He's done... Uh, some of the Captain America. So this is a big wig sort of composer who actually composed the action music and all the music actually, but the action ones are the best for Uncharted 4. And so it's, you're sitting there, I'm listening to this soundtrack going, this is like a movie level soundtrack. It's not even, and then it is, you know, it's really, really cool. I really see where the future storytelling can be in gaming. And, uh, and, and I was recently listening to a podcast with my son about this guy who was gamifying his life. And he was addicted to gaming. I'll, I'll put it in the show notes, the, the link. But he was kind of addicted to these online games because he liked that world better than his own. And then his computer broke and he couldn't fix it. And so he analyzed the psychology of why games are so effective. And I, I find this funny because I'll hear people complain about that video games are addictive. And I'm like, well, isn't that good? And they're like, no, that's not good. I'm like, that's like being mad at an author for making a page turner. <laughs> How dare he write a chapter that I must, I must read the next chapter? How dare he? I mean, it doesn't make any sense. So the games are, are designed specifically to keep you in them and going. And this guy analyzed that and found out that he broke it down in the sense that the overall goal is awesome, whether it's finding treasure or whatever. That's the most important thing. And each step in the process is a minor goal because we're very goal-driven people as a species, humans. And so it's very goal-driven and each goal builds upon you getting towards your next goal. So you may get a simple little sword that you have to master in the first level, but if you master it, then you get a better sword. And if you master that sword, then you get armor or whatever. And by the end, you can slay the dragon. So what he did is that he's decided to do that to his life. So he said, I'm going to make awesome goals that I want to achieve, and I'm going to actually set up little rewards and tasks that, that if I finish certain tasks that will lead me towards this awesome end goal, then I'll reward myself. And he says, oftentimes we undermine ourselves by doing the opposite. So we'll work out and we'll reward ourselves by eating ice cream. 
He's like, that's not rewarding yourself. That's that's damaging your goals. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> so after analyzing how game developers have designed these games, he said he learned the lesson and said, so like, for example, if if I'm going to run, if I walk for a week and I get my uh, get stronger, then I'm going to reward myself and buy shoes. And then I'm, when I, I run for a month, then I'm going to sign up for a marathon and all these other things. But the thing that he does, which is the most important, I think, is he makes the end goals so attractive that you want to go through the game of his life. So for example, he wanted to always wanted to play the violin. One of the goals he did was to travel and he traveled to Ireland at one point. And in Ireland, he was at a pub and on one of the nights of the week, locals would come in and play Irish songs on the violin. And so he said, well, I not only want to learn the violin, but my end goal is to go to Ireland and play in that pub and play Irish songs on a violin. So it was not just, I'm going to learn the violin someday. It's like, I'm going to do this awesome. I'm actually going to go to Ireland. It's going to be amazing. And I'm going to perform in front of people, right? So he makes his goals, like the games, so awesome, so attractive that he can't wait to get there. And then he breaks it down into simple goals that build and build and build and build. And then he also said he had to adapt because there are times where he wasn't being as effective per goal. Like in a game, you have to change your strategy. So he had to change how he did things in his life to make sure he was doing what he needed to do, like be more diligent or move the alarm clock across the room. So he got up in the morning, things like that. But it's really interesting that this psychology of gaming, this really effective storytelling, he's actually converted into a very fulfilling life. He's traveled everywhere. He's bungee jumped. He's gone to like 25 countries. He's, I mean, it's just amazing all the things that he's done. He changed jobs. He quit what he was doing because he hated it. That's why he's spending all time in virtual land and created his own company and has done very well with that. So That's incredible. Yeah, so I think that what I'm trying to say with all of this is that there's a core sort of value or effectiveness of good stories, whether that's in a game or a novel or whatever. The journey you go through as a consumer of the story, the end goal is worth it, you know, and it's such an awesome end goal that you love going through. You look at Harry Potter, you know, awesome end goal and Katniss Everdeen and the Hunger Games, uh, Star Wars, right? These are, the end goals are amazing. And all of those are conquering evil. Right. Every example you just mentioned. Right. <laughs> but I mean, all those goals are awesome. It starts little, right? It's a guy and, you know, someone out in the middle of a planet that doesn't want to be there. And then they get introduced to the Rebel Alliance and then they move up and then they learn their skills and they, it's gaming. It's a game structure. Anyway, I was just really surprised by the convergence of all these things of effective storytelling, character development, world building, goal setting, getting the, the consumer in the eyes, in the ears, in the, the world of the protagonist, having them connect with them, living through with the characters, getting to enjoy the characters, getting wanting to spend time with the characters. And all that applies to really good movies, really good TV, really good novels, and really good games. Yeah, absolutely. So It's what makes them enjoyable. Yeah. And I think that's such a great lesson to apply to your own life is gamifying your life. Like there's a reason that those rewards keep bringing you back and you have to find that reward in your own life so yeah i'm gonna try to figure out a way to gamify i'm gonna pick something that to gamify some goal i have and then try to make it so awesome that i have to achieve it that'll be fun i'll try it out i think i'm gonna try it out too all right we'll see what happens i'll link that podcast like i said about the gamification of your life in the show notes because it's worth a listen to that's it dorothea if you'd like to contact us you can contact me at pete at petebowerbooks.com and please be sure to visit PeteBowerBooks.com to get all the latest updates. Yep. And you can rate us on iTunes if you'd like. You can. And that about wraps it up, Dorothea. 
Yes, it does. Uncharted is awesome. Yep. If I was going to say, if you like first-person shooters, but they're really third-person shooters, really. Yeah. If you like those, uh, definitely check it out. The story arcs are awesome. The gameplay is really good. And uh, it's a very enjoyable series. And it's an awesome, well-told story. And that's what we talk about. Yep. Storytellers talking about storytelling. Is that our tagline? I think so. <laughs> All right. We'll see you guys next time. Bye.